When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There's no place like the cube. Hey, I'm Adele. And I'm Anna. And we are ACAD Productions. Get ready to nod your head and laugh out loud as we bring an unfiltered perspective to black life in predominantly white spaces. So, welcome to the head nod. Season one, Black Life at a PWI. Representing more than just a face. In student government, we embrace the race. PWI may be the game, but we play Black in leadership every single day. Okay. Chat GPT, be GPT in, man. Welcome to the head nod. You know, welcome back, family. It's the head nod, and we're excited to welcome our good friend Twyla Dang to the show. What's going on, Twyla? Hello, ladies. (laughs) (laughs) This is gonna be so good. Okay, y'all, let me tell y'all a little bit about Twyla if you don't know already. You're gonna know in a minute. All right, so Twyla is passionate about creating media content that respects, encourages, understands, and uplifts women. She created Matriarch Digital Media to do just that. Matriarch is the home of on demand entertainment that is made to celebrate women. Twyla is also a news producer with Minnesota Public Radio, a division of American Public Media. Boom, 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 boom. And I just do that because that's how I be feeling (laughs) on the head knot. (laughs) Welcome, Twyla. I don't, I don't mind that part. That, I don't, I, I'm like, y'all, y'all got me out here sitting out here, sitting here listening to my own bio. That's not, that's not cute. Oh, it right. is yep. so. Hear about yourself. You do amazing right. things. Y'all done talking. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> you are Twyla Dang. Okay. Mm-hmm. That, I, that I am. That I am. You are. Yeah. So we always start the show. We ask that you share what school you went to. And then you also share the like call out or the shout out from that school. So, for example, I went to Drake University and we'd be like, D.U. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so like. <laughs> and we say for Penn State, we are. Penn State is usually a call and response. Uh-huh. Really? Uh-huh. Yes. What's funny, because I don't know that my school has one. So and I don't know that I've ever used it. Really? No. <laughs> you can make one up. Um, We've had that too. We've had people make them up too. I could. Um, so I went to a small liberal arts college in Minnesota called Hamlin University. Um, if they were walking around saying HU, that would have been a mistake. I don't think they should be doing that. Uh, and I don't really know that they. I mean, they're a little too waspy to necessarily have a call out. I think they would think it was impolite in Minnesota. Oh, we'll call you Ham You in the meantime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's 
the whole three percent of people of color on that campus that will understand like that's <laughs> right. The yes. rest of them will yeah. be like. <laughs> yeah. So Twyla, what made you want to go to Ham U? I'm sticking with that. Um, <laughs> I can. I, I'm. I'm. I respect it. Uh, to be perfectly honest, I grew up in Virginia. I was trying to get as far away from home as possible because I grew up right in the belt where Virginia's UVA and Virginia's Tech and uh, the black colleges like VCU and Virginia State were. So everybody I knew was going to one of those schools. And I was like, I don't want to go to school there. Um, And my daddy's from North Carolina. So he gave me two choices, uh, Virginia or North Carolina. There was no middle. So I was, anytime something came in the mail, I was calling the schools like, you know, like a really obnoxious 18 year old does and try to act like I'm an adult or something. So I happened to have, there was a brochure for Hamlin and I called the number. And when they answered the phone, I was like, I would like to speak to someone in your psychology department. And they transferred me and this very nice man picked up the phone and put up with all my foolishness for an hour's worth of questions. (laughs) And at the end, I was like, I I really feel like I need to speak to somebody of authority in the department. Like, what would it take to talk to, like, the department head? And he said, well, I am the department head. I'm Matt Olson. And when I tell y'all, my brain was convinced that this is where I needed to be. Like, I was like, they respect me. They respect my authority as a young person. I'm going to school here. Um, But my parents had already said no. So I applied without telling them. I filled out all the information, got accepted without actually telling them. Um, and at the same time, applied and got in and did everything for my parents to go to the College of William & Mary in Virginia at the same time and Winston-Salem State at the same time. So I had to break it to my parents in the spring before graduation that I don't want to go to these other places. I want to go here. And uh, back in the day, because I'm a little older, uh, PWIs used to give out fun money to bring people of color to campus to convince you to come. So they flew me and my mom out to Minnesota for three whole days. Wow. What? Yeah. Um, and so we were on campus for three. Well, I was on campus for three days. My mom was in a hotel for three days. And when I went to like ask my mom about it, I was like, are you okay with like, you, you don't seem like you're going to come here. And she goes, it, this isn't about me. She was like, I'm only here so that your daddy doesn't panic. You've already made your decision. We're going to let you do what you want to do. Um, and to her credit and to my dad's credit, uh, a few months later, they let me get on a plane with everything I ever owned and everything they ever bought. And off I went. Wow. Look at Twyla yeah. Dang. Oh, wow. I, I will say that 18 year old tracks. <laughs> you are still that person. <laughs> Seriously. Seriously. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I would like to say that I have mellowed in my older age. That does not <laughs> No. <laughs> So then, like, once you so. got there and, like, now you're on your own, you know, I mean, you kind of work because your mom was at the hotel anyway. But now that you're, like, in the environment, like, what was that like? Was it what you kind of thought it would be and experiencing? How was it once you kind of got there those oh. first few days? No, it was 100% opposite of what I, because I didn't know what to expect. I had grown up in two places. So I was born in Detroit, but raised in my younger years in Pennsylvania. So we lived with all black people in Pennsylvania. Like we lived in town where our cousins were, where our uncles, aunties, you know, the great uncles, great aunties. We were around black people all the time. We moved to Virginia and that was one level of culture shock from, you know, going to like, wait, there's a black side of town and a white side of town. 
which I wasn't used to, but I got used to it because I was there from the time I was like 10 on. When I got here, the and especially like 30 years ago, there was such a small population of people of color here, like just really small. And they were very spread out, right? So we were like, there were so few black people here that when we got, when I got to college, we had a dean at our law school who would create a list. And the list had everything that black people would need that it wouldn't be easy for us to find. Like, here's what they go get our food. Here's where to go get hair products. Here's where to go, you know, get your hair done. And here's where the snacks you're used to are sold because they just weren't available. You could, it's not like today where you could just walk into Target and everything's there. We would have to make like a bus trip on two buses to get to, you know, the places where we could get our hair products. You know, it was like, it was, we were, we were in a city and we were around black people, but we were still isolated. And then being on the campus was a complete and total shock because the school was recruiting for people of color. So there weren't any of us there. Like we were less than 3% of the school's population and the school wasn't huge, but that still makes a giant difference. That basically means there's like 30 of you total of different backgrounds on a campus, you know, with a couple, you know, with, you know, almost 2000 students on it. All of a sudden you're outnumbered. And in a way that you're not familiar with. And they always recruited from areas where people were like, they knew what it meant to be around and among black people. So it was like folks like me, folks from DC, from Maryland. And you didn't pull off us in the middle of Minnesota and be like, well, good luck with these white folks who don't know how to deal with you. And I mean, white folks and the students, the adults, everybody, nobody knew what to do with us. So yeah, it was, it was a big, I mean, it was a very big culture shock when I got here. And then how did those like 30 of y'all <laughs> in this small liberal arts college, how did y'all find community? Was it really easy to like find each other or how was that experience? Okay. I don't know if, if it was like this for you, but when, when we were going, these schools, because they knew they were recruiting us and it was hard to keep us, they would, um, we had a diversity office, but they also did sort of a, like extra layered things to try to help us like get connected and feel connected really quick. So we got to move on campus early. Like we moved on three days, I think three days earlier than everybody else. And then while we were moving, so when we moved on campus, uh, like all the people of color who were already there and the diversity office coordinated it so that we had a mentor when we got to school. We had that like basically all the people showed up and helped move you in your dorms. They gave us access, early access to campus jobs and so we could get, you know, like we wouldn't have to compete with all the regular students when they got here. So it was anything they could do to kind of add the like the welcome party in because they like even they knew it was going to be hard. They just don't want to acknowledge it. So they did as much as they could to sort of go, no, 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 look, you don't have to leave. Look, there's like 12 of y'all right here. Look, and there's like, look, y'all are right here. So when you got when we got there, it felt like, you know, it felt like a ticker tape parade when we first got there. Because it was just like, hey, it's my people. Hey. And then, you know, like the first week, the first real week of school happens and you're like, somebody put their fingers in my hair last night at dinner and I'm going to uh, riot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was, yeah. So they did do things to try to like retain us. And I will say the credit for that doesn't go to the institution. It goes to the people of color they hired to run the student of color office, because those are the people that who tend to be incentivized to you know, try to help make you comfortable. Did you find that you felt maybe connected to one of those people the most or have any connections to those those folks, like a deeper connection? 
Yes. And they looked out for me. I mean, I'm still friends with them to this day. Um, the, there were two women in particular in that office when the, when I, who met me at 18 years old. Um, one woman's name was Starletta Barber Poindexter, and she ran the office. And she, we were friends, um, like we were friends all the way up till, you know, like she took care of me and became, was a mentor to me, but then came up, became a friend as an adult. So she knows my children. I know her children. I know her children's children. I babysat her children and now her children have children. Um, and then the woman who was the assistant in that office, her name was Nan Provost. Um, we, she's known me since we were 18. We actually just worked together at American Public Media. She was the most recent diversity um, and inclusion expert that they had hired on. And we didn't know that both of us had both gotten a job there. We showed up in orientation on Zoom and we're like, we're no there. way. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there are people, there were people like that who worked in the office. There were students who were older than me who became, who were mentors to me and, as students and are now dear, dear, like forever friends um, who just, you know, the kind of people who look out for you when you don't know how to look out for yourself. Mm-hmm. I love that. I think that's been a through point in all the stories we've heard Absolutely. is that you find your people and your people find you and you have very deep relationships like with these people long after school ends. Uh, that oh, has yeah. definitely like, been a through point. Like when you're thinking you would never think I'm you're, you're going to know my babies one day. I'm going to know your babies. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Or, like these are people who like my mom calls me and is like, did you see, you know, did you see your friend or how's this person? And these are people, you know, like from at this point, I've got I'm old enough that it's like almost 30 years removed from the start of that experience. But we've had a lifetime, you know, now together, like we're all we're, we're raising babies together. And some of us have raised like babies who are almost adults together. So it's kind of wild that, you know, I don't think you ever think when you step on a campus at 18 that. Um, you know, that the people who are going to frame the most important moments of your life are the people you're meeting right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's very true. So what did you get into on campus? Mm -hmm. What ham you do for the black people? (laughs) What what ham you do? What ham you you do? I got got into mess. Remember the whole thing about being 18 and, you know, thinking I was very important? That that tracked all the way through college. Um, I we had a black we had a we didn't have a, a a specifically dedicated black student association. We had a group called Pride, which was promoting racial identity, dignity, and equality. So it was the black association, but everybody was welcome to join in. That's a um, lot. What yeah, was it again? What was it? It was called promoting racial identity, dignity, and equality. Pride. Spelled out Pride. Okay. okay. Pride. So. <laughs> I joined the group immediately when, you know, when, as soon as school started, I joined the group. Um, sophomore year, I ran the group. I was about to say, you were running it by the next year, right? I was about to say that. I was about to yeah, say, and I then ran you ran it. Sophomore year, and, <laughs> and then was, you ran it. Was, yes, it was a year full of shenanigans. Um, lots of shenanigans when I ran that group. The following year, I ran the student congress because I said, screw it. If y'all go mess with my money, I want to run all the money. Um, and then senior, I had two senior years says I... Uh, I, I added another major. So by the time I had my first senior year, I was through with everything that had to do with student government. I was tired of everybody. Um, and then the last year on campus, I was just like, 
I gotta get I gotta get out of here. My mama's coming in May. Like we're not we're not talking. I gotta <laughs> stop talking to me. I gotta get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean we did. I mean, but we. I mean, I loved it. I loved all of it. I tried to do athletics for five seconds. Um, I was an I was a track runner. <laughs> oh nice. But running track up here meant running miles outside in the cold in January. So I quit real fast. Mm-mm. I was like. We don't do this in Virginia. They were like, "You're not Virginia." I said, "Well, then I quit. Good night." <laughs> it's too cold. Um, I worked. Okay, I was super broke. I worked every campus job. I had. I usually had no less than four or five campus jobs in any given time. Oh and, and even now, when people run into me from college, they'll be like, "Weren't you the girl that worked in the bookstore?" Yeah. Weren't you the girl that worked at the front desk? Yeah. yeah. Weren't you the girl that worked in the in the food hall? Yeah. Because <laughs> I had every job. And every single <laughs> um, Yeah, I mean, so, and I did, I was very big on, at the time I didn't understand I was, it was social justice work that I was into, but I was very big into that. So if there was something we could do that helped advance a group on campus or that, or a group needed support because they were going through something or an individual was going through something, I was always in the middle of it. Um, I helped do a lot of research on campus. We had some professors who, you know, did independent study and uh, and student research. And I always loved helping out with stuff like that because I, I just liked learning about how the campus ran and why it was the way it was, which I didn't understand. I didn't know until I got older that that was me applying like sociology and psychology to actual work. I just thought I was, as my mom used to say, you nosy and you run your mouth a lot. So. <laughs> they come in handy. You was doing everything. Yeah. Like, you literally do were doing everything on campus. I'm here for it. What were some of the shenanigans yeah. you got into? You can't throw shenanigans um, out okay. there without me asking what were they. Okay, so when I say shenanigans, most people think that means it's, it was fun. It, it wasn't fun. Um, when, I, <laughs> when I ran the Black Student Union, we paid to bring KRS-One to campus to speak. And that turned into a whole, like, it turned into a disaster because a lot of the white professors were very uncomfortable with the notion of bringing him on campus. And this was in, like, 92, 93. So this is the height of NWA, F the police. Um, This is East Coast, West Coast rivalry just getting started. Um, And at the time, Karis one was very vocally militant in his lyrics. So I was literally getting pulled aside by professors who I don't, who don't even have me in class and saying, like, I need to speak to you. And uh, white adults on these campuses have a habit of adultifying young people, particularly black young people, mm-hmm. in a way that's inappropriate. So I would get like pulled aside and chastised or pulled aside and spoken to a very particular way by these adults who were not recognizing that I'm 18 or 19. You know, like you don't just get to be out of pocket. If you have a problem with me, take it up with somebody who's a mentor to me. Take it up with the appropriate adult, not like we had a mentor for the group. You didn't go to them. You came to me. Mm -hmm. And it took me years and years after school to process how much of that behavior was inappropriate, how I wasn't responsible for any of it, even when I tried to take on the responsibility and that I didn't um, and that I shouldn't have carried any of the like burden that went with it. These were these were adults putting me in a in an awkward position that they shouldn't have put me in. So, yeah, we did stuff like that. Um, when I ran the student congress, um, a set of parents tried to sue the school because uh, one of my officers, who was a black, another black female student, she sent out a letter to she sent out a letter to prospective kids who wanted to be on her committee, 
And the letter she happened to send out to one student said, I really appreciate you uh, wanting to be on the committee, but I have enough white people. I'm trying to make balance. <laughs> so, she said we met our quota. We okay? met yeah. our quota. I'm sorry. We're good. <laughs> and he took it to his parents and his parents threatened to, school, to sue the school. Oh, my God. So that started a whole like avalanche. Like that entire year was a disaster. Because that happened the first week of school. And so for the rest of the school year, it was parents threatening to school to sue the school, um, faculty like bickering about like the appropriateness of how we're conducting ourselves in student congress. At one point, I had the dean of students pull me into a meeting and tell me that um, I'm not an effective leader because I'm caustic and I should step down from my position. What? Caustic? Yeah. Mind you, I didn't know what that meant. I was only 20. I I don't know what it means today and I'm not 20. (laughs) What in the world is caustic? It basically means you have a very negative um, impact on the situation. Oh my gosh. Good Right. And mind you, I'm like, this woman's in her 40s and I am not even 20 years old yet. And when I say, like, that year was so bad that I was, like, seriously considering quitting school. Like, I didn't, I hadn't told anybody, but I was out. I was about to, I was going to quit. Um, and I've told the story, I've told the story before, but I will never pass up the chance to tell it because uh, my dad's the best. Um, I was really struggling. It was coming at me from all sides. So when I say, if the dean of students is saying that to you, imagine what the professors are saying to me, like, when they're pulling me aside. Right. Mm-hmm. Imagine what the other students are saying to me right. in the meetings, outside of the meetings. The black students were mad at me because they didn't feel like I was defending the girl enough, but none of this was happening to her. She said something and got out clean, and I had to take the responsibility for what she said. So I was, I mean, I was going to get through the end of the school year and I was going to quit. I went home for Thanksgiving and my mom and dad knew something happened. And when I went back to school, my dad, and to, to know my dad is to know he is not this dude. He is. He is a chill in the cut. We can all talk it out kind of a guy. He called the 800 number at the school. You know, every school has that 800 number. And he asked, when when the answer and service answered, he said, I would like to speak to the president. And they were like, yeah, no. So they sent him, you know, like they gave him the runaround. First they sent him to admissions. Then they sent him to the registrar. Then they sent him to, um, you know, like, a couple of other, you know, departments. And every time he explained the story, every single time they asked, he, w- he would literally hang up and just call back to the number. And he would say, I'm the parent of a student there and um, I'm, and she's not being treated well. So I need to speak to the president. And I guess after like four or five of these calls, they finally sent him to the university relations office, which is basically the president's office, but it's everybody else you've got to get through to get to him. Mm-hmm. And so his right-hand person like basically said, I'll talk to, you know, I'll talk to him. It's fine. Don't worry about it. And he gets on the phone with my dad and this man repeated this to me. He told me verbatim what my dad said that day. My dad said, my name is Jeffrey Register and my wife and I have sent my daughter to school at your institution. You promised us that you would look out for her and you are failing. Mm. And so he, and then he told the whole story as he knew it. He didn't even know everything because I hadn't told him everything. I had only told my mom a little bit of not all of it, but my dad told just that part and was like, this is unacceptable. The head of university relations apologized to my dad, said he would fix it. 
And then, you know, they they made a game plan, I guess. Mind you, this whole time, this is all happening over the course of a morning. I am like, I got up, I got dressed, I went to work because I told you I had every job on campus. I'm <laughs> I'm up here like making breakfast sandwiches downstairs in the basement of the student center. I get off work and I'm walking and all of a sudden everybody's running up to me. Professors are walk, coming up to me going, I'm so sorry. Um, you know, the, you know, ad, you know, administrators and stuff are walking up to me being like, I, you know, like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. I'm so sorry. My, my mentor and my major, the, the head of the department, like comes, like runs across campus and like hugs me. And it's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know this was going on. And you know, you can always come to me if you need something. And I'm literally looking at all of them like talking about what is happening here. And finally, I get to the student of color office and Starletta, my mentor there, goes, girl, your daddy didn't lit this campus on fire. <laughs> yes. And she tells me what happened. And what's happened is she said, and they told me that when I see you, I'm supposed to stop what I'm doing and walk you over to university relations. You're not even supposed to go anywhere but over there. So we go over there. The head of university relations brings me into his office. He apologizes and says, listen, from now on, I'm going to help you because we can't have this continue and you're too bright of a star here to not succeed. And he basically set a schedule for me every single week for the rest of the school year. And he was like my political strategist for student Congress, for all of the parents and administrators and all the crap that was going on. Literally week to week, I would come in and tell him, here's the problem we're having this week. And he would strategize how to fix it. Wow. That, that night, after all that happened, that night I went home, I called my house. My dad never answers the phone. My mom always answers. I said, hey, where's dad? My dad gets on the phone. I said, hey, dad. And he, the only thing he has said in almost 25 years is, hey, darling, did you have a good day? Wow. Yes, We've never dad. discussed it in detail. He's never acknowledged that he did it. Other people told wow. me exactly what he did. Yes, parents. Yes, Come dad. on, dad. Come on, that's dad. Said, not my baby. Not, not today. Not today. <laughs> yes. I didn't send. Wow. I didn't send my baby across the country with y'all pink people. Y'all better get it together. <laughs> y'all better get it together. Yeah. So I would love to tell you I had fun <laughs> in school, but fun was usually reserved for other people, and then I just had to like, you know. And we listen. We're not even gonna talk about the time where I tried to like inject blackness into my experience like when i when i tried to pledge the sorority and had to had to drop lines oh we definitely talking about that that. yes oh we are definitely (laughs) talking about that you can't can't throw the cookie crumbs and think we're not gonna want to know yeah we don't want to know but i think what your your story also is a through point for everybody who's attended a pwi is these moments of racism that exists there Uh, and then there's also these moments where there's someone who redeems the situation. Yeah, <laughs> like there is, mm-hmm. there is someone who knows what's happening is wrong, and tries their best to try to fix it. Um, I think the fact that that person in the student relations office of relations or whatever took it upon themselves to be like, "I'm gonna work with you. Mm-hmm. Like I see you, and I see that you are brilliant here, and we need you here." And we about to do this together. It 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 doesn't make it easier because it sounds like a really crappy situation and a and a time. But the fact that someone did show up, you know, mm-hmm. that people heard your dad and was like, 
my bad. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. For sure. Um, for sure. And I got, I mean, I, I always count myself fortunate because there really were adults on that campus that cared. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. having the vantage point now of being an adult who juggles life, I can't imagine how they were able to extend themselves so completely when they had like actual adult things and responsibility. Right. And they was trying to, you know, like keep people off of our heads and keep us from acting like knuckleheads. And, you know, so, I mean, we were, we were really fortunate. The the people that we were that we had that were mentors to us that took care of us on that campus were, um, I don't like. I'll never have enough words. I just I always feel like really grateful that I'm the kind of person who really it, I like it hurts me physically not to tell you if I'm grateful to, for something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad I had the opportunity because we've lost some of them over the years. But I'm really glad I got the chance to look people in the eye and tell them like, thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for looking out for me. And, you yeah. know, I got to say, too, I just appreciate your dad so much in that, because also I think sometimes we we don't forget, but the staff forgets. Like a lot of people came from different places and all over and their parents aren't there. So sometimes the system can take advantage of that, because like you said, you were 18, 19, got these grown, grown adult year adults, like I always say, coming and talking to you and trying to, you know, keep put you at the adult level that they're at. And you weren't. So your dad gave them and anyone who would listen a friendly reminder that you have parents and uh, yeah, we're going to advocate for you. and We're going to say something and it's not just going to be friends and family weekend or parents weekend or parents day. They're there regardless. And I just, I appreciate your dad for that so much. Like that just made my, my whole little spirit happy. That's awesome. Thank you. My dad doesn't uh, in, in the history of like when we talk about our family, my dad don't get as much shine as my mom a lot. Cause my mom is just like, out there my dad is like her ride or die in the back he's just like i'm he's the getaway driver always (laughs) so the fact that this like even now like i've told the story a couple times in public as an adult and my sisters didn't know that this happened um my mom didn't know that it happened so like when we talk about it and they're like when'd your daddy do that and i was like oh it was this at this point and they're all like really and i'm like yeah because i mean we know my dad is like uh he just he would never let anything bad happen to us but he was always a, like, you know, he was always more of a, like, hand around the shoulder, like, you're going to be all right. I got you. You know, not a, like, I'm going to go confront, like, XYZ person. Tell me about the music culture there. Was there music that you became exposed to that you didn't know about, but you learned about once you got to a PWI? Okay, so I I think a lot of people think when when I moved to Minnesota that it just became, like, it was just a sea of white people and it was just whiteness. And there was a lot of that. But we were also, I also moved to Minnesota in 1992, you know, years after like the Minneapolis sound was developed. Like uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis owned a huge recording studio and this massive, Terry Lewis owned this massive mansion. No, I'm sorry, Jimmy Jam owned a massive mansion just outside the city. Um, and so like there was a whole Minneapolis sound that was going on there. The coolest part about moving there was all of a sudden everybody had a Prince story and everybody had seen Prince at some point. <laughs> so you get there and you're thinking, I'm going to see. Right. Wait, <laughs> wait, Adele, I got you. He How do you me. randomly have on a Prince shirt today? Is Prince. this because it, Twyla's on? It, I literally <laughs> just threw it on today. You know. no, I, <laughs> but here you go, Twyla. Adele, I'm about to make your whole day. Prince opened his club the year I moved there when what? I was 18. That is and, it, and the club, this is like when the club was called Glam Slam. It, it changed names a couple times. 
But that was like the black club to go to because we didn't have a lot of places to go. And we were not legal. We couldn't get into places. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but I had two, we had two things working for us. My one girlfriend was from California and she was this just beautiful light skinned girl from like Carson. And she knew she was beautiful and she used to just charm men and they would let her in places and she'd grab our hands and we'd go. And if her charm didn't work, I showed up on campus with like double G's. So I just wore a low cut top and we get in. Until until they start cracking down. And then this like my sophomore year, my my cousin got me a fake ID. So we all at that point we all had our fakes, we could go. So you would hear all these stories like, oh, there's, you know, Prince was here. Uh, and you'd be like, what do you mean Prince was here? We didn't see Prince, we didn't see Prince. Prince didn't mix among the, the miscreants on the floor. He would be like in the upstairs watching from the upstairs. So one night, and this is my only Prince story, one night, and I'm no more than I am no more than 19 years old. We are downstairs, the club closes, the lights come up, and there's this dude walking through, like, handpicking people. And he handpicks our girlfriend, the California girl, and says, hey, um, you want to go to the upstairs? He said after party. He just said the upstairs. <laughs> the upstairs. And she's like, the well, upper, yeah. Right? right. <laughs> so then she's like, oh, wait, but, but my friend's got to be able to go. Like, yes, you got to, like, my friends have to go. We stick together. Yeah. Right. So there were, like, four of us girls who were underage. And he said, he basically looked at us and was like, go. And to set the scene, this is, like, 92, 93. So the dress code when we would go places were overalls with one strap on. <laughs> Yes. Nike sandals. We were not dressed in press. Right. We were dressed for the cold. So he's like, yeah, whatever. So we we go. And then a, another small group of three of our friends knew the DJ and they got he got them in. So we're all upstairs. We come up to this little room. The door like we're standing from the door, waiting for the door to open. They open the door. And this is like, like a standard room, like what would be like a lot like a lobby esque type room. It's got a bunch of high bar tables. On the tables are like meat and cheese trays. I'm not even kidding. Like <laughs> like deli trays. And it's dark. It's like do- like atmosphere dark. And there's a DJ in the back. And there is a gang of dudes on the other side who look like they must be entourage. So our first thought is, we this could be trouble because there's too many of them. Right. Too many of them. And there's a lot of us because, you know, they've let other girls and stuff in. But there ain't as many of us as there are them. <laughs> So we're sitting around like, this is weird, and the DJ's playing, and we're like, okay, we can just say we were here, we had, we had this experience. Then, this, there's a little stage off to one side. Lights come, after an hour, these lights come up, and it's like the lights are moving, like get ready for performance. A group of like eight women come out dressed in like, like Pebbles Flintstone, dinosaur, like, like with like dinosaur hide, Bones in their ponytails. I'm not even kidding. What? And they, <laughs> start doing, and they start doing a choreographed dance to that old song, Everybody Walk the Dinosaur. What? My, <laughs> I, I don't do drugs. So in my in my head, I am crystal clear on this because I, I saw this. I don't even drink. So I'm like, what is happening? So this whole thing happens. The whole time we're looking at each other like, what is this nonsense? And as they're performing, we notice that some dudes are like moving stuff behind, you know, at the back of the stage, but they're performing in the front of the stage. 
at the point where we're about to just like lose our minds, this dude comes walking past us. And mind you, we were, you know, in 92, you know, people would be, you know, like they, they say cap is lying. But when we were young, capping was making fun of somebody. So mm-hmm. we were capping on everybody that we thought looked odd. This dude walked past us and he couldn't have been, he wasn't even five feet tall. He wasn't even five feet tall, but he's wearing like high heel shoes. And we're like, do you see this dude with the high heel shoes? Do you see this dude? Do you see that little dude with the high heel shoes? I'm like, ah, those are my mama's shoes. Y'all, he went up on the stage and sat in a chair and the spotlight came on and we realized we had been capping on Prince. Yo! <laughs> And when I say mortified, I like, oh my God. Stunned. Stunned. He walked right in front of me. Stunned. We were that close. Oh my God. Right. So then the song ends. He's literally, he's sitting like fully dressed in his outfit, sunglasses on. The DJ plays music for another like 25 minutes. And then Prince gets up and leaves. And the lights come up, and they tell everybody to go home. What? Wow. He said, "I'm not we even like, singing. We're not even gonna get a song. I'm not performing. You just gonna watch? Happen- me. What's happening? We did not. We had no idea. It was the weirdest thing I've ever experienced. But I can at least say I had a Prince story yes. out of it. Yes. Yes. Um, so mind you, we also lived there when um, you know that group Next that sings like uh, mm-hmm. "Too Close." And yeah. White yeah. 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 Those dudes went to high school with some of our friends from Minneapolis. And that dude that was the lead singer, I forget his name. RL. Okay. His name. Yeah. He would literally show up to a sandwich shop with full chains, sunglasses, like, I'm important. He would show up at, ba- at high school basketball games. He would show up at the Mall of America. He was ridiculous. So he was outside. <laughs> he, was he, was, he was outside trying to get noticed. And we like, dude, we listen to the song. We get it. We get it. You do it you're doing too much. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like I said, we, I moved here and got it. Like the thing that I discovered here was really live music. Because everybody sang live. You know, R&B performers, rap performers, Rock performers, everybody sang live. So you could go to like First Avenue. I went to shows at First Avenue. I got to go, you know, to bigger shows at the Target Center. There's Turf Club. There were, I, this is where I learned how to really love music because I actually got to see people like perform it. Um, But I wouldn't have, like, that wasn't something I grew up doing. That wasn't something I understood, you know, understood as a Mm. thing until I got there. But yeah, I mean, I think most people forget how. Like, like how deeply entrenched the Minnesota sound is over the course of like 85 to 95. And we lived in the pocket of it. Like we, we, you know, would go see Mint Condition do a show and we would, you know, like they would, you know, when Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were like breaking acts, they would have the acts like do local, you know, stuff when we would hear things. And Janet Jackson was in town all the time, but nobody ever saw her. Oh, nobody ever saw her. Cause she was making, at the time she was making like Janet and um, she was making Janet and the Velvet Rope while we were in college. So she yes, was actually- Velvet Rope, child. I love that Janet. Come through yeah, so that it was, Janet. It was yes. <laughs> I like I even now when I think back on it and I'm telling my kids about it, I'm like, hey, we like it wasn't actually uncool to be here, right? <laughs> yeah, Prince walked past you. That's pretty dope. I'm with yeah, it. It, was, it was pretty. It was pretty great. Now, mind That's you, a I moment. did. I'll tell Adele, I'll tell you on another occasion about the um, the only time I saw him in concert. 
Okay. Uh, where I spent I spent my rent money like two days before rent was due, <laughs> and I spent my rent money to go see him in concert, and it was remarkable. Oh, I'm some so things, some things oh. have to be done. Yes. Some things must yeah. be done. one white song you learned when you got to campus that you didn't know before um you know that you know that song that song um closing time like closing time yeah yeah um that they're from here they're another group they're from here so i hadn't heard any of the like husker do semisonic any of that until i got here and then when it became like a thing nationally it was like oh yeah those dudes we know yeah, but, I listened, but I wasn't a good measure because I listened to everything growing up. My dad was a radio and the car guy. So I listened to a lot of like when I got here, it was kind of cool to realize you could go see people or you could go to record stores and stuff and be like, oh, I can like I like I, I love college because I could go to college and buy music and not have to make fake um, cassette covers. So my mother wouldn't take it. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. So was there ever a moment, I guess you kind of told us maybe we can use that, but maybe there's another one. Was there ever a moment you wanted to click your heels three times and go home and be like, I'm out of here. Ham you. I'm done with you. Uh, Yes. And it wasn't that, even though that was bad. Um, Do you know the book uh, for color girls who consider suicide Mm -hmm. when the rainbow is enough? Yep. So that was written by Ntozaki Shange. Mm -hmm. And... When I was on campus, as a, in, in campus leadership, I wasn't the president, but I was a part of campus leadership. We paid big money to bring her to campus to speak to our student body. And Ms. Shange, rest her soul, because I know she's not here anymore, mm. showed up to campus with her jaw wired shut Nuh-uh. and high as a kite. After we had spent weeks arguing with the administration about bringing her and her controversial book together. So she shows up for the function. She gets up on the podium. And when I say her jaw is wired shut um, and she starts to read from her new book, she won't even she will not even acknowledge for colored girls because she's fed up with it. She's fed up with people asking about it. So she wrote another book and it was called Lillianne. And she gets up to read. So she's reading a book we don't know, we're not familiar with. We have taken all this heat about bringing her to campus and what important things she has to say. She gets up to the podium and all she does is read like the first paragraph, which is like written in lyrical prose. And it's basically just her saying Lillian over and over again with her jaw wired shut. So she's going, Lillian, Lillian, Lillian. Twilight, what? <laughs> <laughs> we went to Florida to swallow as a whole. We were so mortified. That is so embarrassing. Oh like the days to follow. Oh my was, god! When I say we couldn't say anything, you know, like when you so you, you know when you're so wrong that when you when people look at you and they even want to say I told you, you say like don't do it. I know. don't even do it. It was so and like bad. the next moment of trying to bring someone to campus was probably all the more harder now to like make the case because they're going to keep referring to Lillian. Oh my well, god! Like, it, couldn't, it, it, it just couldn't get any worse than that. That was like the bomb. Like that was the bomb. What year was this for you? That, was, like, was this like your senior? Year? Um, it was. It was my junior year. 
Oh gosh. Oh no. Yes, it was it was bad. I was at the time I was already I was already president of the student congress at that point, but I was still helping with the black student association the the you know student color association. But and I was like, we when I said we fought for, it, we're like, we want we want our literature represented. We want our voices right. heard. We want this is us. Like, <laughs> she told me. We paid her all of our budget. We, you know, they only give you a certain amount of budget for the year. We, mm-hmm. we spent that whole budget on that lady, and she showed up with her jaw <laughs> wire shut and high as. I'm cat. so sorry. That was your experience. That is so, so terrible. Funny. It was. So, I mean, it's funny now. Like I can uh, laugh at it. I remember just feeling like if I could, if I could just melt into the seat and disappear. Like, can we just? You better than me, because I surely would have snuck out a back door somewhere. You would not have seen it. I would have been gone. Gone. Okay. Like, oh no. You know, just so wrong. You got to sit in it. You got to be like, no, it's fine. This exactly her jaw being wired is okay with me. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Lillian. <laughs> it was so it's so bad. I still can't read that book to this day. I think I still have a copy of the book she gave me. No, us. it's okay. You're not missing <laughs> nothing. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I have a question. How did you know? How did you know? The other segment is the opposite of the go home. So is there a moment when you were there and you were like, this is good? I enjoy this. I can do this. Was there a moment where you felt like I can get through this? It's, I enjoy school or that you liked it? Um, yeah, I think. Okay, so there were two. Um, the first one's actually solely pertains to me. Um, I was I remember working in the um, admissions office. Again, I had 50 jobs and I was going through files and filing things. So I was being nosy and looking for my own file in there. And I found my file, and in the top, across the um, top, it they had there were handwritten notes from admissions people, like what their impressions of me were. And I had never actually, you know, thought about what other people think of me. That's kind of my life philosophy: is what other people think of me is none of my business. But at this moment, I wanted to like it was like in my hands, and I read in the top that they hadn't been this impressed with a student since. Um, since Dennis Williams, who was another student. And he was, and now Dennis, to know Dennis is to know he's a remarkable human. I love him. He's a great person. Um, If anybody watches TV, he was actually uh, just featured with his son on that show, The Parent Test. He was the high achieving Mm. parent. And he's like a remarkable human. I love him. Mm. Um, So to see as a like 19, 20 year old that these people thought I was anywhere on his level was like, oh, I got (laughs) I got this. Yes. So that was, that was like, really that I think that, I think that buoyed me in a way that I didn't even realize until later how important that was. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing that made me think, Oh, I could do this. This place ain't so bad. I can stay here. Um, Is I, so if you, to know me is to know I'm married. And if you know, I'm married, then, you know, I married my college sweetheart who I met on that campus. And we did not like each other at all when we met. We were very contentious with each other. But somewhere in the middle of uh, my soft, my junior year and his sophomore year, um, we were working in the same office, doing the same job. And it was like during Christmas, you know, market season or whatever. And he needed some help with something stupid. Like he needed to pick out a gift for his sister. And he didn't think, he didn't think anything of it. I didn't think anything of it, but he said, Hey, come, come here with me for a second. And he just 
grabbed my hand and laced our fingers together, which we weren't dating or anything. We were just friends. And we were walking around the Christmas market and everybody who knew us saw us and every, like we were just like, it was like that moment where you finally look down and you realize your hands are linked, but it makes sense. And everybody around us knew it made sense. They were just waiting for us to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and so that was like, I remember thinking like, this place ain't so bad. Yeah. And mind you, mind you, like 20 some years and three children later, it, it turned out it to not be. It wasn't so bad at all. It look, wasn't so bad. Look at him. PWI. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> now, mind you, they need to stop asking me for money because they, they literally sent us solicitors that said, Your family started here. Don't you want to oh, like no. reward Don't be trying to try take my love for <laughs> Make you money. <laughs> yeah. like, Absolutely. <laughs> It, they gonna leverage that to the end of opportunity, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, I love that story. Twyla, Aww. thank you so much for joining us on the show. You're very welcome. I love thank y'all. You. I'm so glad yes. you're doing that. I'll have to this call you whole... separately for some more print stories because, you know, that's my guy. Well, that means you just need to come up here because, you know, like... I, I want to. Minutes. I was actually going to for my birthday, but it's in January and I'm not built for that. So I'm going to come in the warmer it's season. Twilight, oh, that you is not true at all, Twilight. literal pictures of snow. <laughs> you sent us what's happening there. <laughs> tuning in to the head nod podcast don't forget to subscribe and follow us on the cube app and at dcp official across social family follow my sis adele at i am adele coleman across all socials and follow the coolest to ever do it anna deshawn at anna deshawn on all socials listen wherever you get your podcast and if you really dig it leave a rating and a review Keep nodding your heads with us. Until next time, this is the Head Nod. <laughs>